The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next half hour as always, uh, having a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and in our attempt to humanize the addiction in the attic. We appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Dan couldn't make it today. He's on the road talking on college campuses about the dangers of gambling. But I'm very happy to have a fellow compulsive gambler with me today uh, from uh, down in Florida right now. Here is uh, Dave. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Okay, uh, Doing great. What was your last bet? My last bet was February 17th, 1987. Wow. So we're talking about 35 years without gambling. Wow. Yeah, it seems, uh, it seems incredible. I came into the program as a young guy, and now I'm uh, sort of an elder statesman. I, I think I'd rather still be a young guy. Yeah, but you're a, you have the wisdom now of an, of an older elder statesman, which we rely on so much. So I appreciate you coming on. If you don't mind sharing the story, uh, how did gambling uh, begin for you? Gambling began at a very young age for me, Craig, and as I as I mentioned other times, it began with no money involved. Uh, when I grew up in Philadelphia, we flipped baseball cards, we pitched pennies, we flipped baseball cards two ways, kneeling down and throwing them against the wall or flipping them over and over, match, dematch, the picture side or the stat side. I started doing that when I was like seven years old, and um, I, I honestly stayed attracted to gambling for the next 30 years, and that was how I got started. Uh, when I was able to get some money uh, in my hands, things just uh, proliferated and went downhill fast. I think uh, I think by the time I was 12 years old and blew a decent amount of money on the 62 World Series, I was probably like a seasoned, uh, savvy gambler, you know, way beyond my years right. uh, of a 12-year-old. And, of course, it just went from there. Um, a key moment for me, skipping over some years, in 1978, uh, casino gambling came to Atlantic City. I lived about 55 minutes from Atlantic City, and all of a sudden I could play blackjack on a regular basis without having to get on a plane and take a vacation. And Atlantic City didn't didn't wasn't the reason for my downfall, but it hastened it. Sure, and because uh, now you had you had access you didn't have without it. Yeah, young people today don't even realize how I must have felt when when Atlantic City opened. It was like my dream come true today. Today, gambling is so ridiculously accessible, they wouldn't even understand my joy at that time. But, you know, prior to that, I always had to get on a plane and go somewhere, the Bahamas or Puerto Rico. Right. And, and so I gambled there for a few years and uh, really out of control. Got caught up in a little bit of the high roller stuff with the comps. And uh, in the mid-'80s, just decided enough was enough. I was fortunate in a couple of ways. My life was definitely out of control, but I was still working, and I wasn't dead broke. I made no illusions to, so to speak, hitting bottom because I knew there was further I could go. Um, but I knew about Gamblers Anonymous, and uh, I had made so many attempts to try to stop gambling on my own. But they probably weren't real attempts, Greg. They were attempts to sort of slow down a little bit. Well, let me, let me stop you there because what you said is interesting. I think there's a misconception amongst people that are not in our world that every compulsive gambler by rule – has lost all his money. Every compulsive gambler by rule can't pick a winner. Every compulsive gambler by rule, you know, is uh, literally out on his last nickel. And that's really just not the case. You know, the addiction 
isn't about the winning and losing, at least in my experience. It's about the desire to play. And I wonder if you were the same way. Absolutely. It's just, it's the total craziness of it. And, and I make no apologies for not being totally at rock bottom when I came into Gamblers Anonymous. I, I think it was sort of okay in a way. And rock bottom, of course, is a misnomer anyway, Craig. People come to meetings that I go to and they talk about hitting rock bottom. And when they do, sort of cynically, I always ask them if I could give them a ride home. And when they say they have a car, I try to explain to them, how can you hit rock bottom if you have a car, right. if you still have a place to sleep? It, you know, it's a term that we use loosely and incorrectly. Um, but I was ready to stop gambling. That's for sure. I, I definitely belonged in Gamblers Anonymous. I felt comfortable in that room from the very beginning. And I've said this before, the X Factor was always going to be me. The program program to me was totally what I wanted. Right, but why would just have curiosity if you didn't have that one crazy moment, you know, or quote unquote a rock bottom moment, was it I'm trying to figure out why you decided, hey, I'm ready to live my life a different way. Was it were you just exhausted from you know the amount of time you spent thinking about gambling and actual gambling? Was it a loved one that came to you? Like what was the ultimate impetus to say all right, I'm not at rock bottom. I've got a job. I do have money coming in. I'm just ready to change how I live my life. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? Really good question, Greg. And the answer is mostly all of the above. I met a great lady. I also was aware of the fact that I was getting older without growing up. My, my chronological number was going up. Right. My raturational number was stuck. Um, I was just, I used the term sick and tired of being sick and tired. And there was one other thing I should add, that I, a lot of my friends from the 60s were, were winding up in AA and NA, and I spent a lot of time talking to them, and, and that was a little bit of a motivation for me, too, to know that I had friends in other 12-step fellowships and that the fellowship could uh, really help me out. I was scared to death by the thought of total abstention, right? but I felt that that was the only thing that would work for me. And so your exposure to other people doing it, clearly made it easier for you to walk into that first room. Um, but I, you know, my issue with that first room was, you know, you walk into your room and it's like you're admitting, uh, you know, you're flawed. You're admitting that, you know, you can't handle certain things or your life's out of control. And I, I, I was very uncomfortable when I walked into that first room. So much so, you know, I shopped a room until I got to a place where I felt very comfortable. But I wasn't overnight. I was a little more fortunate. I was nervous, and of course, I labored under that uh, that misconception that reaching out for help was a sign of weakness. Yeah, you and I both know now that reaching out for help is a sign of strength. But at the time, I I was I didn't really think I wanted to ask outsiders for help. But from the first time I went to a meeting, even though I wasn't sure I was going to stop gambling, I felt comfortable in the room. People were amazing, even though I didn't sense a lot of commonality. They were older than me. Right. Um, and they had different stories. But I, I was looking for a way to succeed, not for a way to fail. So I was looking for reasons to stay, not for reasons to leave. And was it uh, legitimately like all or nothing? Like you went into that first room and bang, never gambled ever again? Or did you dabble Absolutely here and not. there a little bit? I came to Gamblers Anonymous in 84 and took an ill-advised vacation in 86 to an island where there was gambling. I honestly can tell you on this call, Greg, that I got on the phone with the intention of drinking and sitting in the sun and having some fun because we went with a crowd of people. But I gambled almost the minute we landed in Puerto Rico. That was in, in the early part of 86. 
And it really took me almost a year to find my way back to Gamblers Anonymous. When I got home, I thought, all right, I'll go to a meeting and everything is all right. But when I got home, I didn't want to go to a meeting. I wanted to go to Atlantic City. And, And did you? I did. And I really floundered for a year. It was the craziest year of my life, Greg. I, I, I was in casinos and wanted to be in meetings. I was in meetings and wanted to be in casinos. I really didn't know if I was coming or going. And I credit the people in Gamblers Anonymous at that time because they knew me from the 84 for being really patient with me and caring about me, making me feel wanted even when I was stumbling. I came back in 87 under a great set of circumstances. It's a long story. I'd like to share with you, like, off the phone sometime. Sure. I came back in 87 to help a friend, wondering how the hell I could help him if I was gambling. Made a little deal with myself not to gamble for a month and never gambled again. Wow. I mean, that's powerful. Very powerful. Talking to Dave, uh, he's on vacation, actually, right now. Nice enough to join us here this morning on Hello, My Name is Craig. Was, you know, you were gambling prior to meeting, you know, your wife and uh, having a family and all that type of uh, stuff. You're the trappings of success as we all get older. What was the conversation like when you had to say to your, your wife or your closest friends, hey, by the way, I don't, I'm not gambling anymore because I think I have a problem. Were they like, hey, no bleep, we know you got a problem, I'm glad you're getting help, or were they totally surprised by it? Totally surprised. Some of them thought it was a scam. Huh. Some of them thought it was a scam for five or six years, as a matter of fact. <laughs> wow. But nobody was horrible about it. Nobody was like uh, some evil uh, being over my right shoulder fighting with the angel on my left. Everybody was cool, and um, eventually some of those people went away, and then some of them stayed my friends, just not in gambling anymore. Um, you know, those ob- we, we create those obstacles and, and make it harder than we, than we need make it. I did everything I had to do to stop gambling, and if, if, and if anybody didn't like my, the new me, hell with them. Right. We're going to take a quick break. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. More with Dave right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for a few more moments here this uh, Saturday morning. Happy to have Dave uh, on the line. He, like myself and Dan, who's not with us today, a uh, compulsive gambler. So, Dave, I wonder, you know, you're one of those guys, you know, on the streets, we call them old heads, right? You've been around a long time, and you have great life experience to share with people. And uh, I'm wondering, as I'm listening to your story, why you still participate in the room, why you still go to whatever extent you do still go and share your story, because it would seem 35 years later that you're all set, you got this thing conquered. Uh, there's a lot of answers to that, Greg, and you know some of them as well. One is my wife would kill me. <laughs> That's the easy one. I'm with you on that. <laughs> and the fact is, not so much from recovery. She loves the fact that I go out of the house three nights a week. I mean, <laughs> we're we're not in courtship anymore. You know, if I say I think I'll skip the meeting tonight, she's like shows me the TV schedule, and she likes her alone time. But the other reason is I love the meetings, and I love the fact that somewhere along the line, when you do get to be an old head, and I do like that term, it's a street term that I love, you get a chance to help the new people and set an example. And for me, since the new people are almost entirely young people, it's a way of, of me trying to stay young. I mean, I love hanging out with guys that are younger than me. I'm, you know, I'm generally a young at heart guy. I, I'm not decrepit. I'm not failing. Um, I have breakfast four or five days a week with two or three GA guys. I have meals before all the meetings we go to. 
Um, when you get to this point in recovery, it is fun. But on a more serious note, Greg, one of the reasons I come is because I truly believe this. It's not fake. And that is if I stop going to meetings, I think I run the risk of gambling. And that, that's what fascinates me. And, you know, I met a gentleman who's uh, in his mid-70s at the room I go to in New Jersey. And he's been going uh, probably about the same amount of time as you, Dave. And I went up to him one day as we you know, started building a, you know, a friendship, a relationship uh, through the room. And I asked him that very question. I said, it's been 30, 40 years since you last made a wager. Like, you know, it's, here we are on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. You know, in the basement of a you know, nondescript church. You're having this meeting every week. Why? And this guy never misses a meeting, ever. And I said, I don't, I don't get it. Like, if I had 30 years in, I wouldn't come anymore. And this is a couple years ago. And he said, the reason I've got 30 years in is because I do come. Absolutely. And I was fascinated by that comment. At, at my very, very first meeting, I met a man who had 20 years. And I was pretty naive about the program. And he went on to probably become the most important man in my life as a mentor. He's passed now. But I asked him that night, why do you still come? And he said, I come to spread the message. I come because it feels good. You know as well as I. We always say it, that you never walk out of a meeting that you don't feel better than when you walked in. So why wouldn't you keep doing it? Yeah, for sure. And, I, and for me now, like, you know, I'm in my 50s. Um, so you got me beat by a little bit. But, you know, it is uh, I get great uh, satisfaction when you see the new kid come into the room and they're usually, you know, kids, and I say that, I'm not using that loosely, like kids in their young 20s who, uh, you know, I, rec- I recognize that that was me a number of years ago, although I wasn't in my 20s when I finally decided to get help. And I get great satisfaction of, you know, just putting a hand on a shoulder and saying, you know, you got this and we'll be here to help you out. And I never thought it would be that rewarding, but it really is. It is. And you probably experienced this too, Craig, but when I first came to Gamblers Anonymous, and I was confronted with stopping gambling. I was trying to figure out what I was ever going to do for fun. Sure. It was, it was so depressing to me. Like, what would make me smile? What would I do instead? And it turns out the answer is almost everything else. And the, and the young people that come into the program surely are feeling the same way. And when they see people like you and me who are in recovery but still have great lives, it sets a terrific example. Yeah, and that's the message I always try to end this show with, and that is – as bad as it may have been, and we've all had different levels of how bad it is. You know, I was incarcerated uh, as an indirect result of gambling. Uh, I lost everything, you know, financial hurdles and all that stuff. But, man, I love waking up every morning now. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that do listen to the show, Dave, that are where I was almost four years ago, where you were 35 years ago. And I always like to try to end the show with a message to those people who – you have no idea that they can get to the place that you've gotten and I've gotten. And for those new people who are trying to figure out, am I going to go to GA? Am I going to ask for help? Am I going to acknowledge, hey, put your ego aside and admit that you're out of control? What do you say to those people who are at step one of this long journey? It, the journey is worth all of it. Don't get impatient with the pace of the journey. Stick around and wait for the magic to happen. You and I know that we're, but neither of us are living like monks. All we've done is give up gambling. We haven't given up having fun, smiling, having great lives. This is the best time in my life with the possible exception of the fact that I've gotten old. Sure. Yeah, not only that, you have so much free time, at least I do, to do a lot of other things, whether it's a hobby, a project, a bike ride, a walk, uh, 
you know, to be with your kids and really being present when you're with your kids, like, I, it's awesome. I took some vacations in great places, like gambling, but all I ever did was gamble. I never yeah. one fight. And, and, you know, I revisited some of those places to enjoy the surroundings. And, I mean, it, it, you know, stop gambling opened up my life. It didn't close it. Yeah, I agree with that. I've, I've told that story many times. Uh, you know, I've had the, the great fortune of, of traveling a bit, but it was always around a casino. Every vacation I made my family go on, it was because there was a casino that was somewhere exactly. either on property or really close to where we were staying. And you know, I'll never forget, we went to Italy once. And I did not go to a casino, but I spent, you know, three quarters of the trip on my phone gambling. So I wasn't there. And, you know, I, I've looked back at pictures of that vacation, and I have no yeah. recollection of, of it. None whatsoever, because my head was in my phone. Listen, not to brag, but when I was 30, I got invited on a junket to Monte Carlo. It was like my dream come true. Sure. Monte <laughs> Carlo, Grace Kelly was still alive. They heard I was from Philadelphia. They assumed I knew her. Um, <laughs> I didn't do any sightseeing. I just spent the whole time in the casino. Yeah. I, I mean, I had such an opportunity to take such an incredible trip. It still was pretty good. But, I mean, I still bungled it. I went back and visited that town after I stopped gambling, and I thought, this is heaven. Right. How did I miss all this, right? Exactly. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I'm proud of you, and uh, thank you for sharing your story and you know, being a mentor to, to the people that you do that for. You know, they're they're blessed to have you in their lives. I look forward to meeting you one day as well, and keep up the good work. You too, brother, and keep up the good work, Greg. You're doing a great job. All right, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, my friend. All right, so that's Dave, a fellow compulsive gambler. You know, the message that we try to impart on this show is that, you know, we're normal people. We're average, everyday, normal American people. Uh, most gamblers are successful, are smart, have jobs, you know, have uh, families and all those things that come with being a regular, average, everyday American. And, you know, one of the big stigmas that we face, of course, is the fact that we are viewed as degenerates when, you know, we're merely just addicts. And I recognize for some of you who listen to this show, you don't buy that. You don't like the fact that, you know, uh, I can compare myself to a drug addict, an alcoholic, and I can lean on the fact that this addiction led me to make bad decisions and do things that otherwise I never would have done. That's your hang-up. That's not my hang-up, and that's not any addict's hang-up. And I think it's important for those of you who do listen to this show who aren't addicts, who aren't gamblers, but are fearful that you have somebody in your life that you worry about that might be, that you start processing the information that's given to you when you're trying to help someone in that manner, in a manner that recognizes that we've got a problem. And you know, calling us names or using the term degenerates is not going to help people come forward and acknowledge that they have a problem and ask for help. You know, I say a lot on this show that the most important step every compulsive gambler I've ever met, myself included, has ever had to take was honesty, was being able to admit not only to ourselves, but to those that are in our lives that we have a problem. And for a lot of us, you know, we're too manly or, you know, tough to admit, hey, I've got a problem. But the reality is that holding on to that ego and that sense of, you know, 
you have no idea what it's like to be me, and I don't have a problem, and you just don't understand how I blah, 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 blah. That is our biggest detriment. You know, overcoming our own egos is our biggest detriment. So if you are someone that fears for a family member because you see them acting differently or, you know, hiding at a party or, you know, spending a lot of time heading their phone during a ball game and things like that, you know, the first thing that you want those people to do is to drop their ego and just say, yeah, I think I have a problem or, yeah, gambling's not fun or, yeah, I'm spending far too much time worrying about it and processing it and, you know, contemplating tonight's action. And it's the conversation that then will ultimately lead to that person recognizing that maybe they are in a situation that is out of their control. Maybe they do need help. Maybe they're willing to go get that help. But recognize that each step of this process is really compartmentalized. You know, you're not better the day you acknowledge you have a problem. You start getting better, but you're not better. This is not an overnight sensation where, hey, I've got a problem, and tomorrow I'm better. It just doesn't work that way. And for those of you that are gamblers, who are at a place now where you recognize that your gambling is not fun, that it's not recreational, that it's taking up far too much of your time, Start talking to somebody about it. Start sharing that feeling with somebody about it and be willing to accept the fact that you may be dealing with something that is out of your control. And if nothing else, please take it from me that once you take that step and you can honestly admit that you have a problem or that you may have a problem, everything starts getting better incrementally from that day. But it's never going to get better until you own it, until you're honest about it, and until you start recognizing that you're not processing gambling in a healthy manner. And if my life story can serve as a beacon for anybody out there, trust me, I went from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley for real. And I'm now come out the other side, and I'm living an extraordinary life that's worth living. And I never would have had that opportunity if I continued to deny my issues, if I allowed my ego to continue to control my actions, and I'm a better person for being honest. And I hope that's the uh, last thing you uh, consider uh, today. Evan Roberts is coming up uh, at 10, and then he and I are back on the air again Monday at 2 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.